0: Hello and welcome to 404 Podcast Found. I'm your host, Owen Gottimer. This episode is brought to you by Agile Plus DevOps Con, where you can discover the latest in Agile and DevOps methods, tools, and leadership practices. We'll have more on that later. For now, let's jump into the episode. Ryan Ripley is a professional Scrum trainer with Scrum.org and an independent consultant. He's a regular conference speaker and blogger. He hosts the Agile for Humans podcast, and he's the co-author of Fixing Your Scrum, practical solutions to common Scrum problems. I recently sat down with Ryan at a conference in Orlando and talked about what Scrum is, some of the most common Scrum anti-patterns, and the importance of connecting your Scrum team with your customer.
1: Scrum is a framework. So it's a framework with five events, three roles, three artifacts designed to help people solve complex problems. It's not a methodology. It's not you know, one steps one to a thousand to product delivery nirvana. It's a framework where we get to use empirical process control, which means we make our work transparent. So we put on a wall everything that we're doing. We have um, very deep, rich conversations about the work. So transparency is that, that whole team understanding. And as we do that work, we inspect that work. So transparency leads to good inspection, which means we know where we're at. We know what we're doing. Uh, we kind of start to see some of the impacts, and then we do adaptation. So once we the work is transparent, we do a good inspection of it. We can change direction, right? We can we can adapt to the marketplace. We can adapt to user feedback. We can figure out what's going on and stay aligned to the customer. So really, it's um, when you're adopting Scrum, you're accepting the fact you don't know everything up front, that you can't predict the future. You cannot play in complexity perfectly, and if you accept that premise then you need a framework that says, here's what we think the work looks like and, all the, and everything we know about it today. Here's some of the things that we've uh, noticed as we've done the work and gotten feedback. And here's the next tactical change we're gonna make to make sure that we're doing something relevant in the marketplace, that we're saving the world, that we're having the impact that we're investing in. And that's really Scrum. It's just the, the set of boundaries and constraints uh, with a few rules, a few artifacts that allow us to kind of make sense of where we're at in the world. Does that make sense? Does no. That-
0: yeah, I mean, it totally makes sense. I think one of the really cool things um, that you mentioned about Scrum is that you know there are there are these rules in place to kind of help guide you, but the first thing is accepting the idea that you you can't sit down and plan everything. Right are you still seeing that in the the market where teams do try to sit down from day one and plan through the process? Do you think more people are working more iteratively?
1: We see a lot of different things. I I think a a very common anti-pattern is that, all right, we have sprint one to 50 planned out. And you kind of look at that and you're like, look, I think it's great we're forecasting. I think, look, I'm not in this this camp of agilists who think that, you know, how much does it cost and when will it be done? I don't think those are bad questions. I think those are perfectly reasonable questions, and I think we can forecast our product backlogs. Uh, we can do estimates. We can—I I prefer the lean metrics, so cycle time, throughput. Um, Daniel Vacanti's book, *Actionable Agile Metrics*, answers those questions. So I think we should do that, mm-hmm. but we should caveat all of those um, answers with this plan will change. Like the whole purpose of the sprint review, for example—an excellent collaborative session between the Scrum team, stakeholders, customers. Management, anyone interested in the outcome of the product. The outcome of that event, so first of all, it's not a demo. Most teams uh, initially treat this as all right, let's show what we did, everyone claps, or everyone's upset, you know, claps mm. or boos, and then we leave. A demo is just one small part of that event, right? Uh, The the review is so much more than that. It's it's how are we doing in the marketplace? What does our budget look like? What's most important to customers? How's the product being used? What impact are we having on the world? Are stakeholders pleased with the progress? Is the dev team struggling? Do they need help from the state? All these different great things happening. The outcome is an updated product backlog. We take all the learnings from this sprint, all the learnings from the market, all the learnings from this discussion. We create new product backlog items that will move things around, right? Because if we learn, look, the whole point of Scrum, in my opinion, is to get to done. And we're getting to done as soon as responsibly possible to be opportunistic in the marketplace. We want to launch products at the right time, at the right place for the right people to make the most profit or impact possible. Now, if we learn something in a sprint review that we have to bring to the top of our product backlog next sprint to be opportunistic, doesn't that mean that all those 50 sprints we forecasted, those will change. They have to change because we learned something. And so it's good to have this idea of where we're going. I think road mapping is a very valuable, still valid practice. But the second we learn something, we have to be willing to change that plan. If that's okay, I I don't mind if people plan out forever. But understand that that plan will change when it's confronted with reality or some new opportunity. Like, if your product owner can't be opportunistic in the marketplace, why are we doing this? Like, what are we, yeah. Plans can and will change. Planning is still important, but the plan itself, it's got to be flexible. Does that make sense? Does yeah, that... for sure.
0: How, how do you get through? Because I'm sure there's some people that are still in that mindset. Like, we have to plan yeah. all the way through. And like you said, you, you have no problem with the idea of forecasting and looking forward into the future, but knowing that you have to be able to adapt.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: How do you convince people who don't see the need to change mid-product
1: development? I connect them to a customer. Right. What what I find so often in these big upfront initiatives is that there's one person who has a vision, who's unwilling or unable or doesn't even know that they can talk to, to a real customer, right? Mm-hmm. And so what I try to do is connect the Scrum team to the customer as quickly as possible, because once you hear that outside influence, like if you have a product owner that's in that traditional mindset that they know best and that they're gonna. Um, they're going to know exactly what the customer needs. We don't need to talk to that customer. They're failing in that role. Like that is a, that is a fail, uh, fail mode for a product owner. And so as a Scrum Master, I have to partner with that person and say, hey, buddy, this is not going to work. We, we ha- we're selling to customers. We're not selling to you. We agree that you have awesome market experience, but we got to hear from this person over here who's actually struggling with our product. Can we bring that person in and just talk to them? Can we get that connection? Um, I find so often one of these big disconnects in Scrum, you asked me earlier on, like, what are some of the anti-patterns? What are some of the problems? The disconnect from customers? is massive. When I sense that a team is kind of in this mode, the first one of the first questions I'll ask is, do you have a sprint goal? Are you using the sprint goal in the framework? And usually the answer is no. Well, no, we don't use a sprint goal. We're just, we're backlog lumberjacks. Cal Peshaw has a great talk on this. He um, I think that's his term. I want to make sure I I respect the fact that that's his term, but I think backlog lumberjack is just brilliant. We're just going to chop through every single feature. We're just going to chop, and regardless of feedback and um, regardless of what happens, we're just going to go through and just plow through, and I, I love his talk because he's just so spot on. That's disconnected from customer and reality. That sprint goal, I think what most people don't realize is that is our connection back to customer. When we set a sprint goal for a sprint, what we're saying is this is the outcome that we're trying to achieve for a customer. This is the impact we're trying to have on a person using our product. This is what we're trying to to enable someone to do. Right? We're trying to have that outward viewpoint with the sprint goal. Far too often, it's you know complete Jira ticket number four seven eight two nine comma three six eight two seven comma and it's like this. It's scope, which we don't even commit to in Scrum. We commit to this goal, which is supposed to be big and challenging, and, but it's measurable as well. It's like, um, let's say on a website, we want to enable payment. That's our sprint goal. Now, how we get there, that's got to be variable because you can't plan complexity mm-hmm. perfectly. So we might have an idea of what gets us there, but by the end of a sprint, what happens versus plan could be wildly different, but as long as we can collect cash by the end, we won. Great outcome, right? Yeah, absolutely, and I think that that's so
0: key. Adding value to the customer, yeah. you know, and, and that's what that sprinkle ultimately is, is. Is what value are we trying to add? This sprint that the customer can benefit from, and in turn, the the company is going to benefit oh, yeah. from because the customer's happy. They're going to pay us. Right, it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But if we're not connected, if we're not aligned, we're building things that people may not want. You know, there's been a lot of research done. We talk about this in a lot of the professional Scrum Master and Product Owner classes. Uh, that we teach through scrum.org. And uh, we talk about this so often that a high percentage of the features and things we build are not used by customers. So, whether, I mean, depending on the research, right, it's anywhere from 25 to 60% of the features put in software, they're not used, right? And so, if we can avoid that, if we can, it's just staying connected to that customer is so important. They can tell us where the waste is, they can tell us what they need, what they don't need. If we just go down this singular vision, um, and just chop through that product backlog without ever talking to a customer, we're just putting waste into our products. We're building things that we're going to have to support forever. That total cost of ownership goes up and no one uses. Right? And this happens to everybody. Microsoft fell into this uh, with Clippy. Do you remember that paper clip? Yeah, of that, course. Hey there, it looks like you're trying to build a resume. And it was awesome at the time. Like in the 90s, contextually aware software wasn't that big of a thing today. Google knows what you want to search before you search it, but back then it was kind of cool, and they released it. They everyone hated it. They had to pull it out. I mean, it was just one of those things. It was a clever idea, but no one wanted it. And if they had just shown it to some people right before they released, they could have prevented that. And it's millions of dollars lost in cost of delay, delaying releases of Office, having to re-engineer and backwards engineer Clippy out of the pro, out of the software and. I mean, that's just like, that's a big silly example, but look at Excel, how many features do you use? Look at Word, how many features do you actually use? And it's like, uh, even I I use QuickBooks Online to manage my business. I use four or five things, Mm -hmm. and everything else, like they keep putting, this is new, this is new, and it's like, I don't care, I don't care, I don't have time to check it out and I'm not gonna use it. And how many of those things are in your products? And if you're not connected to a customer, how are you avoiding those things? And I, I just think that connection to customer especially through Sprint goal is so important to product management and to the to the product owner that that singular tunnel vision I know best, just chop through the product backlog. It's just not realistic today and there are more nimble companies out there who are willing to align with your customers and eat your lunch. right If you're not going to become a partner to your customer, someone else will. Ask the taxi industry or you think the cab industry ever thought that that was ever going to shift? Uber and Lyft partnered with Ryan does not want to carry cash in a taxi.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uber showed up and said, here's an app. Lyft showed up, said, here's an app. You never have to carry cash. Summon a car, they come right to you. Everything's transactional in the app. I haven't taken a cab in years, have you? No, I have I not, I mean, why no. would you? Yeah. But they partnered with the customer, right? They right. figured out the experience I wanted. But you can't do that sitting on your own, planning out 50 sprints by yourself. You have to do the work of talking to customers. What do you think the biggest blocker
0: is getting the scrum teams to talk to the customer is it I don't know is it a fear of talking to the customer is it a not knowing they can talk to the customer is it someone blocking them from talking to the customer I, I,
1: I've seen all three modes right okay. I mean there's there's a fear there's a we don't know if we can do this there's a blocker whatever it is the role, a a scrum a professional scrum master will smash through those reasons and connect a team back to customer I remember I was working for Um, an analytics company, and there was a great story of um, a team wasn't sure why they were doing some work for um, train engines, right? and so they went out uh, and a a product owner took their team out to a train yard and showed them people using the application and how Mm. that was being used. and, and It led to these rich conversations that hadn't happened before. There was this disconnect. Some new features were discovered, but also a whole new product was discovered when some software engineers saw how they were working. And they realized, wait a minute, if we can just take some of the data we already have bundled into a report, uh, a report, this train yard doesn't have to do some of the testing they were doing. And it led to a, a new initiative, a new product, millions in revenue, because we took people out and they got to visit a customer, right? But it was a, it was a scrum master who borrowed the corporate credit card, rented a bus, took everyone out. They just busted through that impediment. That's our role. We're not there to schedule meetings. We're not there to order food. We're not there to... Um, be the scrum cop and put people in scrum jail for breaking the framework. Mm-hmm. We're there to connect teams to customers, to break down silos, to break down these misconceptions, um, and to just get that connection to customer back. And Whether we do that through coaching the product owner or taking direct action, it doesn't matter, but that's how you win today. right? It's that partnership with customer. The, the, the less distance between a scrum team and the customer, I think the better shot you have of, cre- of creating a relevant product in today's market.
0: Yeah, and there's no in that scenario. There's less and less playing telephone through oh, yeah. through all these different resources, and you get to hear it. And I love the example that you, they you know you went out to the train tracks and saw them actually working hands on it, and it just I think opens up your eyes and gives you another perspective that you maybe didn't well you didn't think about when you're sitting behind
1: your screen. How could you? Yeah, we don't have the context. We don't have the visibility. Right. I've never worked in that context. Neither had the scrum master. But once you go out and see it, you're like, wait a minute, there's some ideas here. Um, In any case, if there had been no new ideas, I think the single greatest way to demotivate a development team, well, the greatest way would be not paying them. That would be (laughs) awful, right? But assume everything else is going okay. If you disconnect them from the customer, if you don't let a dev team see the impact of their work that it has on the world, they don't care. Apathy sets in, they just show up, they turn into these backlog lumberjacks. We're just doing the work. We don't know why. We're just doing the work. People are telling us, leave us alone. You kind of get this and they're right to feel that way. That's not a knock on them. They're right, they don't have that that visibility, but if we can reconnect them to the customer, suddenly they're inspired. Suddenly they're like, Wow, the work we did saved somebody. One of the coolest things I ever saw, I worked in medical device for a number of years, and the CEO, really perceptive guy, he noticed that um, there's some apathy setting in in the company. And, and instead of like talking, he just, some, some people will just say, oh, this isn't real, this is fine, we're doing great. He was like, no, this is not okay. He didn't get mad. He didn't like have a, you know, an all hands that was just miserable. He went out to um, one of the surgical sites and showed the impact of the product. Right. So we got to see at the time it was hips and knees that we were working in medical device and and at the time it was just unheard of for a patient to get up and walk the same day after a hip surgery. Mm-hmm. This is in the nineties, minimally invasive surgery was just coming out, the new metals and polymers were just coming out. Well he put together a video that said your work this year got this patient out of bed the same day. And they showed this, you know, someone's grandma getting up mm-hmm. out of bed, being able to walk. She's gonna go home months sooner, her rehab is gonna be less intensive, she's the you know, the, the head of the family, she's kind of like that glue, she's going to get back to that role, she's going to... And it was just like everyone was just inspired. It was like, wow, our work did that. People were on fire for days. I mean, what can we do next? What does our work mean? How do we stay connected? And it really just changed the whole attitude and tone. And I think if we can do that, if a Scrum Master can make sure that a product owner is keeping the dev team connected to that customer through sprint goals, through interactions, you know, your sprint review should have customers in it. Like, let's get those, let them tell the dev team how things are going. Hey, this latest feature kind of stunk. If you could fix this for me, I'd appreciate it. Let's hear that stuff, good or bad, right? right? Let's, that's transparency. That's whole team understanding, including the customer, including the stakeholders. Let's just get everything out there, inspect what we're learning, and make that adaptation. Let's, that's how you win, I think.
0: Yeah, I think that's really awesome. And I think that one cool thing that you mentioned there too is not only you know, how did the customer feel about the the that r- most recent release, but also what is important to them. Yeah. You know, the, the scrum team maybe didn't know early on that this specific feature was going to be the thing that the customer's like, "You know what, if you could fix this thing." Maybe it's so small to the scrum team, but yeah. to the customer that I mean, that is the thing
1: they needed to fix. It's all the difference, right? If I'm running a company, well, I am running a company and if I go into QuickBooks and invoicing is busted, I don't care about much else. Hmm. Cash flow is king to a company. We've got to be able to bill and collect. And man, if that's busted, you—you you bet I'm going to send a, some feedback in. And I hope people are listening because in the moment, that's most important, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we talk about getting the the customer more or the scrum team more closely connected to the customer. What are some other common challenges you see with Scrum?
1: Yeah, I mean there. Actually, Todd Miller and I, another professional Scrum trainer with Scrum.org, we, we just finished writing a book on mm-hmm. all the anti patterns of Scrum. So, Fixing Your Scrum, it's through the Pragmatic bookshelf at prag, uh, pragprog.com. It's also available on Amazon for pre order. Sorry for the shameless plug. No, it's good. But uh, we just cataloged, I mean, probably over 50 anti patterns that we run into, whether it's the absent product owner, you know, the scrum master who's acting out of their role, the dev team who's not showing technical excellence or professionalism. There's so many different things that come up. I think what's you know, most interesting, what's really been my focus lately on the scrum framework is this idea that uh, scrum never really fails. right? It's going to do one of two things beautifully every sprint. It's either going to enable and empower a team to deliver a product increment that's potentially releasable, high, highly valuable by the end of a sprint, or it's going to show you every reason why you can't. And I find the anti-patterns all come from, for the most part, I'm sure there's a few exceptions, all co- but mostly come from avoiding the, the learnings. Like it will, Scrum will show you why you can't ship. Now, if we try to modify the framework, or change the sprint length, or do everything in our power to avoid facing that pain, the anti-patterns just come bursting out. Right? Mm-hmm. And so it's really listening to the feedback you're getting. Right? We can't ship uh, right now because we don't have automated testing and we have to do manual regression testing, and it, so it's hard for us to get product out sooner. Fix that problem. Right? That's not Scrum failing. But now we're going to make modifications to the way the dev team works and we're going to have this outside offshore testing group and we're going to add all this stuff on top trying to address a problem that could be treated and, and cured cleanly by a Scrum team. You know and that's i think that's where a lot of it uh originates
0: yeah i mean i think that you know fundamentally understanding scrum is so important yeah if you can understand it and understand what it's there for it's really not there just to have these daily rituals or bi-weekly rituals that you have to attend those are yeah. there for a reason there are specific reasons that you have those things in place
1: absolutely i mean those events were designed to actually replace most of the meetings that people have today so another anti-pattern that we've run into that we talk about pretty extensively in the book is uh, the complaint we get that there's too many meetings in Scrum. There's too many meetings in Scrum. All right, let's, let's think about this for a second. We have sprint planning at the beginning of a sprint. So if we're doing, let's say a two week sprint, that lasts about four hours. All right, so we got four hours on day one. We're gonna do a daily Scrum every day. So that's about 15 minutes every day. And at the end of the sprint, we're gonna do the sprint review and sprint retrospective. So a sprint review for a, a you know two week sprint is what a couple hours. A retrospective for a, a two week sprint is an hour and a half. It doesn't sound like a lot of meetings to me, does it? No, does it doesn't. It to you? Now if we add in some refinement, hopefully if we're, we're doing some product refinement. We're improving our product backlog. We're enhancing whole team understanding, which enhances transparency. So maybe we spend a few hours here and there in the sprint. It's still not a lot. But what happens is people just layer Scrum on top of their current calendar. Big anti-pattern, right? Because every meeting on someone else on your calendar is replaced by a Scrum event. So if you have the status meetings, the steering committee meetings, you know the, the stakeholder updates, the cu- all that stuff goes into sprint review, right? right? Let's do the lessons learned on a project. Well, we do that every sprint in the retrospective, so you can cancel all of those meetings and start inviting stakeholders, inviting Scrum, th- wh- whoever needs to attend to that review to take care of the majority of those, those meetings, right? But if we don't take that step, then when do people have time to work? Like That's just one of, like, uh, of so many little interesting anti-patterns that we run into. Another common issue, another common root cause is really taking a very legalistic view of Scrum. Here's a Scrum Guide, it says this, thou shalt do that. It's not a great viewpoint of the Scrum Guide, right? There are rules we have to follow, but a lot of it's guidance, right? Scrum is immutable, we, have to, we, we choose to do the events because we get good inspection and adaptation out of each of them. So let's take the daily scrum, you know, this legalistic view of the daily scrum. And uh, the three questions pop up all the time. Well, what did you do yesterday to make progress towards the sprint goal? What are you gonna do today to make progress towards the sprint goal? And are you blocked by some impediment that's preventing us from achieving the sprint goal? They've always been optional, right? We've never had to use, use the questions. They were there to give guidance about the purpose. We're trying to figure out how are we best gonna work together today? As a self organizing team to potentially achieve our sprint goal. Now, if you follow those questions legalistically, right, you, ha- you answer the question now, you answer the question now, that's a status update. And that's antithetical to the purpose of the event, right? But if people take that very legalistic view, suddenly these events get morphed into really bad behavior, right? So that's a- another anti pattern that we see. I think the final one that I'll, I'll discuss here, I mean, you gotta read the book, right? You gotta check out the book. Right. Um, my publisher would kill me if I just gave you all 50 <laughs> right now. But um, I think the, the last one we see is an absence of the scrum values. Like the scrum values, you know, focus, openness, courage, commitment, and respect. When teams try to do mechanical scrum, um, the liberators out of the Netherlands call it zombie scrum. Um, what, Ron Jeffries calls it dark scrum. Whatever you, whatever you want to call mechanical scrum, right? that's really an absence of behavioral influence which is what the Scrum values provide. If you act with focus, it means, first of all, a sprint goal is not optional, which a sprint goal is not optional, okay? But if you focus, then we're focused on that sprint goal. We're focused on delivering for a customer. When that extra piece of work comes floating in from the side door, you have no idea how many lunches have been bought for me by VPs if I promised to do just to do this one extra thing when I was a developer but our focus is no we have a sprint goal go away go see our product owner we're focused on achieving this outcome because we're serving a customer we're focused on the on the inspection and adaptations that have to take place during every scrum event we're focused on the work openness means you know what openness is really for me like what i really had to learn was being open to the idea that i could be wrong mm. right how many times i mean not most people aren't setting out to say something they know is false and so when we talk about openness, it's not just open to new ideas, it's not just open to feedback, which is really important, but how about the idea that the way that I thought was best may not be right? And really having that ability to be open to that depth of, a, of feedback, right? Because that's really difficult to take. Um, courage. It takes courage to do the right thing. It takes courage to say no or not yet to someone in, a, in an authoritative position because we're not ready to do something yet or because it would take focus away from something that's important. It takes courage to tell your teammate you don't think they're holding up their end of the deal. It's really hard, right? But as a self-organizing cross-functional team, which is what a dev team is in Scrum, we have to have the courage to hold each other accountable. But it also is the courage to to ask for help, right? That commitment, commitment is such a misused word. It's uh, People, there are people who wish commitment was to scope, but it's never to scope in Scrum. We do not commit to scope, we commit to the sprint goal. Um, commitment is really a commitment to bring my best self forward as a teammate. It is commitment to following Scrum as we've all agreed to follow. It's a commitment to serving a customer through the achievement of a sprint goal. It's a commitment to being good stewards of the, finan- of, the, of the finances, of the money we've been entrusted with to spend it in ways that benefit the organization. It's, it's a commitment to doing the right things, um, respect. None of this works if we're not respectful. Like I have to come at you and say, I don't like your idea without attacking you, right? I have to be respectful in the way I approach you, respectful in the way that I conduct myself. Um, respectful of the way that we spend our sponsor's money, right? Every time a developer touches a keyboard, they spend money. Do we realize that? Are we respecting that? And, and would knowing that change behavior? And so if you start applying these values, mechanical str- scrum has to go away. Like You cannot continue on down the mechanical path if those values are influencing you, um, and it's up to really good scrum masters to bring those forward, to to live those values, to be that that guiding light that shows this is how professional Scrum is performed.
0: Agile and DevOps East and West bring together practitioners seeking to accelerate the delivery of reliable, secure software applications. Find out how the practice of Agile and DevOps brings cross-functional stakeholders together to deliver software with greater speed and agility while meeting quality and security demands visit techwell.com to learn more and use the discount code 404 to save 10% off your next conference registration. We'd love to continue this conversation and more on the TechWell Hub. You can join our Slack community at hub.techwell.com. And remember to check out techwell.com to learn about our expert training, conferences, and communities for software professionals.